श्रीमद्भागवतम की श्री प्रभुपाद की जय नेताय गौर प्रेम मंदिर ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय
नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय हरे कृष्णा थैंक यू टुडे वी आर रीडिंग फ्रॉम कैंटो सिक्स चैप्टर एटीन चैप्टर एटीन इज एंटाइटल दीति वाउस टू किल किंग इंद्रा एंड टुडे वी आर ऑन टेक्स थर्टी सेवन दिवाच वरदो यदि मे ब्रह्म वरदो यदि मे ब्रह्म पुत्र इंद्र हनमृने पुत्र इंद्र हनमृने अमृत्युमृतपुत्राहम अमृत्युमृतपुत्राहम ये ने घातिसुतो ये ने घातिसुतो दिवाच वरदो यदि मे ब्रह्म पुत्रमृने अमृत्युमृतपुत्राहम ये ने घातिसुतो दिवाच वरदो यदि मे ब्रह्म पुत्रमंद्र हिन्हनमृने अमृत्युमृतपुत्राहम ये ने घातिसुतो वैष्णवीस वरदो यदि मे ब्रह्म पुत्रमृने अमृत्युमृतपुत्राहम ये ने घातिसुतो दिवाच वरदो यदि मे ब्रह्म 
पुत्रमेन्द्रहनम वृणे अमृत्युमृतपुत्राहम ये मे घाति सुतीवाच वरदो यदि मे ब्रह्मन पुत्रमेन्द्रहनम वृणे अमृत्युमृतपुत्राहम ये मे घटि सुतो दिवाच दिड वरद द घ्यवर ऑफ बेनेडिक्शन्स यदि इफ मे टू मी ब्रह्मन ओ ग्रेट सोल पुत्रम असन इंद्रहनम हु कैन किल इंद्र वृणे आई एम आस्किंग फॉर अमृत्युम इमोटल मृतपुत्र हु सन्स आर डेड अहम आई ये न बाय हूम मे माय घाति व कॉज टू बी किल्ड Suto, two sons. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Shrila Prabhupada Shrila Prabhupada ki. Translation. Diti replied, "O my husband, O great soul, I have now lost my sons. If you want to give me a benediction, I ask you for an immortal son who can kill Indra. I pray for this because Indra, with the help of Vishnu, has killed my two sons, Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakashipur. Purport: The word Indrahanam means one who can kill Indra, but it also means one who follows Indra. The word Amritium refers to the demigods who do not die like ordinary human beings because they have extremely long durations of life. For example, the duration of Lord Brahma's life is stated in Bhagavad Gita. Sahasra Yuga Pariyantam Ahar Yad Brahmano Vidu. Even the duration of one day or twelve hours of Brahma is four four point three hundred thousand years multiplied by one thousand. Thus, the duration of his life is inconceivable for an ordinary human being. The demigods are therefore sometimes called Amar, which means one who have who has no death. In this material world, however, everyone has to die. Therefore, the words uh, "amritium" indicates that Diti wanted a son who would be in equal, who would be equal in status to the demigods. Om Gyanati Mirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmay Shri Gurave Namaha Shri Chaitanya Manobhishtam स्थापितम् येन भूतले स्वयं स्वयंगयतेगिरीतरूभ्यंधुभ्यव पतिता नमो नमः 
हरे कृष्णा हरे कृष्णा 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 हरे 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 राम हरे राम 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 हरे 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 कृष्णा सो वी आर कंटिन्यूइंग टू रीड अबाउट दीति एंड कश्यपा मुनि ओवर द लास्ट फ्यू वर्सेस वी हैव बीन सीइंग सम ऑफ द स्पीकर्स डिस्क्राइबिंग व्हाट आर द ड्यूटीज ऑफ अ चेस्ट वाइफ and what are the duties of a husband in this material world when they enter into the grahastha ashram and we heard many elaborations on this point as to how a husband should uh, uh, serve his wife and how a wife should faithfully serve her husband and please her and fulfill all his uh, please him and fulfill all his desires and therefore we see actually the canto 6 is actually called as prescribed duties of mankind that is the title of the canto itself now there are 12 10 subject matters of the shrimad bhagavatam and they have been elaborately described in um, the second canto 10th chapter verse 1 um, the verse says atra sargo visargascha sthanam poshanam uttaya manvantara ishu isha anukatha nirodho muktir ashraya so these are the 10 subject matters of the shrimad bhagavatam and they start with sarga sarga means the universal creation or the primary creation which is done by the lord visarga visarga means the secondary creation which is then done by lord brahma based on the blueprint which lord vishnu gives him sthanam means positioning of various living entities in various planetary systems and then we have poshanam which means the lord's protection for his devotees uttaya which means the inclination to act the you know utti it's also called as utti that means how a devo how a person gets the impetus to act in this material world and then we have manvantara manvantara means the reign of the manus a whole description of how the manus reigned who came from them who ruled which were the different kings which came and what are the things they established in this world um isha anukatha isha anukatha means topics or pastimes of the lord his devotees and his incarnations nirodho nirodho means annihilation and uh, muktir ashraya muktir means liberation and ashraya means uh, the supreme shelter so they do not follow a chronological order of course because ashraya or the supreme shelter is actually the 10th canto of shrimad bhagavatam so they don't follow a chronological order but these are broadly the 10 subject matters of the shrimad bhagavatam now all the cantos represent also various limbs of the lord the first and the second canto represent the lotus feet of the lord the third and the fourth canto represent the thighs of the lord the fifth canto is his navel the sixth canto is his chest which is what we are currently on in the sixth canto the seventh and eighth cantos are the arms of the lord um the ninth canto is the throat the 10th canto is the beautiful smiling face of lord shri krishna and that is where we see all krishna's pastimes being elaborately described whether in gokul or in vrindavan or in dwarka mathura all these pastimes are elaborately described the 11th canto is the forehead of the lord and the 12th canto is the head of the lord so these are the divisions of the 12 cantos and the 10 subject matters which are covered within these 12 cantos of the lord now the 6th canto is the chest of the lord as we saw and it also describes out of the 10 subject matters it describes what is called as poshanam poshanam is for the protection offered by the lord to his devotees and we see this throughout the shrimad bhagavatam it starts throughout this canto of shrimad bhagavatam so the 6th canto as we see starts with the pastime of anybody remembers 
who's past time sixth canto very nice it starts with a canto of ajamil where we see the holy name of the lord giving protection to ajamil at the most crucial time of his life which was at the time of death it saved him from the yamadutas it saved him from going to hellish condition of life so we see how the canto starts with the protection of the lord and it starts with how the holy name is non different from the lord and how it protected ajamila from the abominable going down to the abominable condition of life then the it you know the canto flows through um, even the lord protecting vritrasura so he sees how chitraketu is mara chitraketu is protected so the lord sometimes come in his comes in his holy for in the form of his holy names to protect sometimes he sends his representatives or devotees to protect and in terms of chitraketu we saw that he sent angira muni and narad muni to protect chitraketu from that fall down after the lamentation of losing his son so we see how he protected the lord protected him and even when chitraketu got cursed he rose to a very high position of a gandharva but unfortunately he got cursed by mother parvati because of a misunderstanding and even at that time the lord protects so he had to have that curse on him he became a demon the great demon vritrasura but even in that demoniac body the lord protected and we have to understand what does this protection of the lord mean because this whole canto represents poshanam or the protection of the lord so prabhupada explains when krishna says that i protect name bhakta pranashyati in the bhagavad gita also krishna proclaims that that o arjuna boldly declare that my devotee never perishes so at that time prabhupada explains that it is not that krishna is take making a vow or a promise to protect the physical body of the devotee his when he says protect because ultimately we saw vritrasura actually got killed by indra and if in layman's terms it was a very slow painful death because it's described when we read that past time earlier in this canto we saw how indra's you know weapon took almost one year to cut vritrasura's throat vritrasura's throat was so powerful so strong that it took one year now imagine for one year one cutting is going on it obviously he's gone through a painful death but what does the lord mean by that he will protect his devotees it means that he will protect their krishna consciousness he does not allow them to fall down he does not allow them even in whatever bodily condition of life they might be he remembers the devotional service they have done and he also rem- reminds them to remember him at the time of death and therefore we hear about the exalted consciousness of vritrasura when he is leaving his body how he was actually goading indra that please kill me quickly because indra had become a bit despondent when he was losing the battle against vritrasura but it was vritrasura who goaded indra kill me quickly so that i can achieve the worshipable lotus feet of my supreme lord so we see krishna protects protected vritrasura not the physical body obviously he died but he protected his consciousness completely and he took him back to his lotus feet so that is the poshanam that we are talking about and now we are coming towards the end of canto 6 slowly and where we will see the transformation of diti and indra through devotional service or through bhakti that is what we are going to see in the remainder of the 6th canto now coming to today's verse now this canto like i said is also called as prescribed duties of mankind so in this section we are actually seeing in the current section that it is describing the prescribed duties of the grahastashram of a husband and wife and what should a husband do in his dealings with his wife and how should a wife deal with the husband and particularly from diti's point of view when we see this section it is talking more about how a wife should deal with the husband 
and we read many beautiful verses and we heard many beautiful narrations from the previous speakers on what are some of the qualities and attributes a chaste wife should have when she is serving her husband and how she should keep her grahastha ashram intact and safe and protected. It is said also in the Srimad Bhagavatam that the grahastha ashram is like a fort and the woman is like the protector of that fort. She actually, you know, uh, um, does not allow her husband to fall backwards. So the duty of the husband is to take the woman forward in spiritual life. And therefore it is said a chaste woman should follow in the footsteps of her advanced husband. But at the same time, the duty of a woman is to ensure the husband does not fall back in his spiritual life because of gross material sense gratification or lusty relationship within the marriage. So that is what we are seeing over here. What are the uh, duties of a husband and wife towards each other? And now when we are seeing today, in today's verse, Diti has started speaking. In the previous verses, Diti was just serving Kashyapa Muni and Kashyapa Muni was very pleased with that service. And in the, uh, yesterday we heard in the class how Kashyapa Muni promises Diti because of her good service. He says that, oh, beautiful and chaste lady, you can ask me for any benediction that you want. I'm happy to fulfill it because you have served me so chastely and nicely. And now Diti has started speaking. And now when Diti has started speaking, we are also seeing another aspect in terms of prescribed duties, in terms of actually what a husband and wife should not do in their married life. Because we are seeing a revelation of Diti's mind in this particular verse and therefore we get a glimpse of what should not be done by a woman towards her husband and in the next few verses we will also see what should not be done by a husband towards the woman, towards his wife. So we can clearly see over here that Diti is being very manipulative and diplomatic. See, the whole purpose of why she actually served her husband so nicely. In the previous verses, we saw glorification of the duties of a chaste wife. We saw that aspect being glorified. How she was very nicely serving the husband, fulfilling all his desires, so, you know, making everything ready for him because he's a muni. So making everything ready for his worship, participating in whatever he was doing. So we saw how with sweet words she was serving him, you know, preparing nice foodstuffs, keeping the house really nice. So he, she served him very nicely, but ultimately that all service was to achieve a personal goal or there was a hidden motive or agenda which Diti had. And therefore, we see that, you know, it was not true service, but it was all artificial behavior by Diti. And we got a glimpse into Diti's mind earlier in this chapter. In verses 24, 25, 26, we see how Diti is thinking because the verse before that describes how it's describing Aditi's sons, Diti's sons and all that and it describes how with the help of, like on the instigation of Indra, Lord Vishnu came and killed her two sons, Hiranyakashipu and Hiranyaksha. Now obviously she is a mother, even though her sons were great demons, they were creating havoc in the world, she is ignoring that particular aspect saying that good, actually the world got rid of you know these two burdensome demoniac sons that I had produced and now the world can be a peaceful place. But obviously she's a mother, she's materially attached to her sons and therefore she is very aggrieved when she loses her sons. And that time she is actually saying, she is saying that I vow to kill Indra and the title of the chapter itself is Diti vows to kill King Indra. Only then my mind will be peaceful and pacified. So till I actually have a son who becomes the killer of Indra, this mind will not be pacified. 
and over there she is you know giving a big sermon in her mind she is thinking that the bodies even great body of great people like indra has to go to worm it, it ultimately goes into ashes <clears throat> why does indra think that he is immortal not thinking that even her son were not sons were not immortal and it's okay if they died but applying philosophy to others so that's what deeti was doing when she was thinking how she now wants to avenge the death of her sons and therefore she wanted to have a son who would actually help her fulfill that particular vow that indra should get killed in fact she says in verse 26 she says let me adopt some means which will help me achieve this goal so very calculated person very manipulative and calculatedly she has actually then started and the next verse says how she started serving her husband very nicely so it was all to adopt certain some means by which ultimately to realize whatever she wanted to get as the outcome of this so we see that prabhupad says that this all behavior of deeti was completely artificial it wasn't true there are many you know elaborately if we see narad muni has described very elaborately what should a chaste woman do and how she should serve her husband in the 7th canto of shrimad bhagavatam in his conversation with yudhishthir maharaj narad muni gives very nice description of the duties of every ashrama every varna and based on uh, you know further going deeper into that he gives the duties of grahastha ashram and over there he says some of the qualities of our chaste wife which narad muni describes in the 7th canto of shrimad bhagavatam he says that um, a chaste woman should not be greedy at all and what are we seeing over here deeti doing the completely opposite she is very greedy to achieve her own personal goal to achieve something which is actually not good for mankind because whatever it is indra does have anarthas we see his example being used throughout the shrimad bhagavatam where you know obviously he uh, the greatest example we see is the govardhan leela pastime where he actually misunderstands lord krishna to be an ordinary boy and even when he steals the sacrificial horse in maharaj prithu's pastime so we see all that but we have to remember that indra is the king of the demigods he is head of all the demigods and he is favored by vishnu all the demigods are very dear to lord vishnu they might they might be kama mishra bhaktis they might be mixed devotees but still they are dear and they are trusted by the lord that is why the lord has given them in charge of the universal affairs and here diti is wanting to kill indra himself who is the head of the demigods just because he uh, uh, you know told the lord to kill the two sons so but we see narad muni says that a wife a chaste wife should not be greedy and she should always be very truthful in her behavior twice narad muni stresses that in that canto very truthfully she should behave with her husband and what do we see over here diti doing completely untruthful behavior her behavior was uh, you know based on deceit or lies so she has been completely untruthful to her husband she has that greed inside her mind that she wants to achieve a uh, son who will kill indra and with that purpose she has worshiped her husband and it is also said narad muni further describes the wife's duties towards her husband he says that she should consider her husband her husband's vows as her own and she should her serve her husband following in his footsteps now obviously it is not kashyapa muni's vow to kill indra in fact in the next verse we will see tomorrow day after we will see kashyapa muni starts lamenting he said oh i was you are a you know woman and obviously you might not have thought with your head you are just thinking with your heart out of your material attachment to your sons but i am a muni i am a sage i am supposed to be wise 
but what have i done i have fallen down to your you know nice covered glances and your nice behavior i fell down to that i fell into that trap and i i have to promised you that i will give you a benediction and alas what a benediction you have asked this is not good for indra and this is not good for mankind and indra should not be killed because those two your demoniac sons were creating havoc that is why they had to be killed but indra should not be killed for that offense at least so we see how kashyapa muni will start lamenting so it was not his vow but it is diti's vow but narad muni says that the chaste wife should always be following the husband's vows and assisting him in fulfilling his particular vows so when we read all these descriptions of narad muni on the behavior of a chaste wife we see diti doing actually completely the opposite so even though externally she showed nice behavior sweet words serving very nicely preparing everything for her husband very beautifully cooking nice food for him but internally it was all a deceit it was all a lie so we can see that she did all these things with kashyapa muni with that hidden motive that she had that indra should get killed and this is called as this particular behavior which diti has displayed or uh, shown over here is called as kutinati or diplomacy or duplicious behavior obviously you know you are duplicious duplicious behavior because you are having something else in mind and you are doing something else with your actions and prabhupad warns against this behavior in many 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 of his purports in the bhagavatam and specially in the chaitanya charitramrita he says in madhya leela in chaitanya charitramrita madhya leela verse uh, 159 chapter 19 verse 159 shrila prabhupad says he says nishidhachara kutinati jeeva himsana labha puja pratishthadi yata upashakha gana so prabhupad says that these kutinati nishidhachara um, jeeva himsa kutinati is diplomacy or depreciatory behavior jeeva himsa is being violent to other living entities labha puja pratishtha looking for gain for yourself and for you know fame and prestige pratishtha is fame and prestige looking for all these things these are upashakha gana so these are unwanted creepers which can actually grow along with the creeper of bhakti and shrila prabhupad warns devotees that we should be very careful sometimes you cannot differentiate along with the creeper of bhakti these creepers of anarthas might be growing and we might not be able to differentiate between the creeper of bhakti or what is actually devotional service and what are actually anarthas which we are allowing to sprout in our heart and prabhupad warns that one should be very careful in fact in that purport he elaborates on kutinati or diplomatic or duplicious behavior which is what we are focusing on because we see uh, diti displaying that behavior with her husband he says that it can never satisfy the atma or the soul in fact it can never satisfy the body and the mind also ultimately diti was not satisfied with her behavior with with the request that she made of kashyapa muni she wasn't satisfied at all so prabhupad says it will never satisfy satisfies one soul if one tries to adopt these duplicious means to gain they are hidden motives or agenda in fact prabhupad says that vaishnava should have very open honest and straight forward dealings which are authorized by vedic authorities that is how we vaishnava should deal with each other they should be very open and transparent they should be honest in what they are actually seeking from another vaishnava so let's say sometimes we might have a requirement we might want to gain something from another vaishnava we might want to request for something it is better to be honest about it and straight forward about it prabhupad explains in that purport rather than duplicitously trying to achieve that particular goal 
So Prabhupada says that uh, the advancement in spiritual life, a devotee's advancement in spiritual life is obstructed if a devotee allows this creeper, this anartha of duplicity, duplicious behavior or di uh, diplomacy to grow in their heart. It can actually put an obstruction to one's uh, spiritual life. Now, even in Chaitanya Sikshamrita, uh, which has been written by Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, he explains how various anarthas are represented by various demons in Krishna Leela. So, there is an elaborate, when we studied the 10th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam with um, Keshav Prabhu, there is a big, you know, there is elaboration. We studied about the various demons who come to Vrindavan, who are sent by Kamsa to kill Krishna. And we studied, Bhaktivinoda Thakur has given elaboration on each demon and how every demon represented an anartha in our spiritual life, which as devotees we should try and avoid and uproot those anarthas, the creepers of anarthas which are growing in our heart. And Bakasura, the demon Bakasura who came to kill Krishna, after Vatsasura was killed by Krishna, the demon Bakasura comes, which was in the form of a stork or a duck demon. And that particular demon actually represents the anartha of uh, duplicity, deceptiveness and false behavior. And that is exactly what we are seeing, Diti displaying over here. She is displaying duplicity, she is displaying diplomacy in her behavior to achieve something and also false behavior. Whatever nicely she served her husband was absolutely false. It was artificial, Prabhupada says. So as devotees, we have to be extremely careful that we do not heed to this behavior. In our relationships, in our dealings with Vaishnavas, we do not bring this dupliciousness. Now in material world, you know, we acknowledge sometimes we have to show diplomacy. We have to like be very careful when we are dealing in our offices or with outside people we are dealing in the material world. That time we have to show some dupl uh, diplomacy in our dealings. However, we should not allow that to come into devotional relationships. Because ultimately, you know, dadati prati granati guya makhyati prachati. The dealings between devotees are very nicely described in the nectar of instruction. So a devotee should reveal one's mind and confidence to another devotee and he should also hear whatever another devotee reveals to him and keep it confidential within himself. And they should exchange gifts, there should be loving exchange, there should be discussion of the Lord's pastimes. So we see in dealings of devotees, if we allow this dupliciousness to come in, it is going to obviously destroy relationships because devotees will lose trust in each other. Like they might, you know, be trusting and they might think, oh, this devotee is genuinely being nice to me and genuinely developing a good relationship with me. But ultimately then when they come to know the devotee had a hidden motive and they wanted to achieve something from that devotee, it will break the devotee's trust. So like as, you know, exemplary devotees in the congregation, we need to imbibe this particular quality where we are not breaking devotee's trust by showing this dupliciousness or kutinati behavior. And... If, if especially, you know, this dupliciousness has been done to achieve a personal goal. Now, Srila Prabhupada at the same time also elaborates. He mentions in the, again in the Chaitanya Charitramrita Madhya Leela, in the 19th, in the 12th chapter, 44th verse, Prabhupada says that diplomacy used for the service of the Lord is a form of devotional service. So whenever we are, you know, we are not saying we should not be, when we say, oh, we should be straightforward. If some devotee has cooked nice, you know, some bhoga they have, prashadam they have cooked and they are serving. And we are very straightforward and we say, oh my God, what, you know, taste, the dal is very spicy or what you have cooked, you don't know how to cook. Or, you know, the, the chapatis are very dry or this is not good, that is, that is not good. So when we talk about straightforwardness, obviously we don't want to be, 
rude or brutal with her devotee in giving feedback or in you know revealing our mind obviously over there we have to show some diplomacy because it is conducive to devotional service so we have to as devotees understand this difference so we have you know diplomacy is required sometimes if it is conducive to devotional service like prabhupad says diplomacy used for the service of the lord is a form of devotional service itself so when obviously we are dealing with devotees we can't be straight forward if some devotee has learning to do some service and we are very uh, upfront in our feedback that oh you have not done properly then obviously are we more motivating that devotee or are we demoralizing that devotee from further trying to serve the lord and that is where we have to put the hat on that i have to be diplomatic with this devotee encourage them and at the same time so that they don't lose their motivation to serve the supreme lord and lose their motivation to do any service that they are still in the phase of learning so that is that is what prabhupad describes that diplomacy used which is conducive for devotional service is actually used by devotees but diplomacy which is used kutinati which is called it's used by devotees to achieve their own personal hidden agenda and personal goals or some motive they have which is they are not some mal intention they have which they are not revealing up front to the other devotee that is absolutely not conducive it will actually thwart the creeper of the devotional of devotional bhakti it will shot that creeper from growing completely all this anartha of kutinati and prabhupada elaborates in this particular purport um, in the 12th chapter 44th verse um, that is it is a conversation between actually ramanand rai and chaitanya mahaprabhu and prabhupada elaborates in that purport that some devotees great devotees of the lord like ramanand rai like raghunath das goswami sanatan goswami were very expert they were all officers in the government and you know being in politics people have to be very diplomatic there is actually you know there are positions within the government called as diplomatic relationships and somebody there's a portfolio with somebody heads where you have to develop diplomatic relationships with other countries so prabhupad says that all these people were great gov- big government officers and they knew the art of diplomacy in how to deal with others so that the relationship is conducive and devotional service can be further progressed and prabhupad gives various examples so this like i said this particular verse is from ramanand rai's conversation with shila with uh, chanat uh, chaitanya mahaprabhu so ramanand rai was also a governor of madras of chennai and he was actually wanting to serve chaitanya mahaprabhu and maharaj pratap rudra favors ramanand rai because he was a great devotee he tells ramanand rai that you can continue serving chaitanya mahaprabhu you don't need to be the government any governor anymore but i will still continue paying you and obviously a governor was drawing huge amount of money his salary was quite good but maharaj pratap rudra said i will keep paying you and that is what now ramanand rai is using because chaitanya mahaprabhu being a sanyasi very strict sanyasi wanting to set an example did not want to associate with maharaj pratap rudra at all because he thought maharaj pratap rudra is a king and i will get contaminated if i associate with a king but maharaj pratap rudra on the other hand was a great devotee and he was eagerly looking forward to serve chaitanya mahaprabhu to associate with him but every time he would approach the devotees that can i have darshan or audience of chaitanya mahaprabhu chaitanya mahaprabhu would turn down that request so we see ramanand rai using diplomacy over here to soften the heart of chaitanya mahaprabhu so that he becomes receptive to uh, maharaj pratap rudra and he accepts him in his circle and he gives him his darshan and audience so over here in this particular verse which you know we are talking about ramanand rai is actually telling 
Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that Maharaj Pratap Rudra, you know, he, so that I can come and serve you, which was your desire, I should leave my governor position and come and serve you. Maharaj Pratap Rudra immediately granted it. And he said, okay, I will continue paying you your full salary, but you go and serve Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as you want. So like that, Ramanand Rai Prabhupada says, was using diplomacy. But the diplomacy was not to achieve some personal goal which Ramanand Rai had, or some hidden motive. It was more to favor, you know, favor Maharaj Pratap Rudra. It was to help another devotee to progress in their bhakti. Again, Prabhupada also elaborates on the example of Raghunath Das Goswami. So he says that Raghunath Das Goswami's father and uncle, they were great, they were very, very wealthy people, they were zamindars. And once, you know, some government officials, there was some uh, miscommunication or misunderstanding that happened, and some government officers actually were going to come and arrest them and put them in jail. But what does Raghunath Das Goswami do at that time? To protect his father and uncle, he actually hides them somewhere. And then he goes and deals with these government officials. And he goes and deals in such a nice diplomatic way that he pacifies the whole situation. He clears up the misunderstanding and he's able to, they are not then wanting to arrest his father and his uncle. So we see Raghunath Das Goswami displaying this diplomatic behavior um, uh, for saving his father and uncle. And same with Sanatan Goswami. So Sanatan Goswami was also very diplomatic when he was he was obviously a you know a very trusted minister in uh, the mughal king's rule and he wanted to then leave everything and go and join chaitanya mahaprabhu so he gives up his ministership and he was thrown in jail unfortunately by the king and in the jail he talks to the guards very diplomatically he convinces them and he bribes them to escape from the jail now we might say, oh, how can he be, you know, show such behavior? He's a Goswami. How can he display this behavior? But obviously it was for a higher purpose. And over there, Prabhupada says that diplomacy is ap absolutely acceptable in devotional life. It is in fact a form of devotional service, Prabhupada says. And we also see, therefore we see the Goswamis, when we read about, you know, we sing the Sat Goswami Astakam, it says, Dheera, Dheera, Jana, Priya, Priya, Karo. So the Goswamis were very dear to the Dheeras, who are the saintly people, but at the same time they were also very dear to Adhira, the ruffians, because they knew how to deal. Especially Sanatan Goswami was very expert. It is said that in the villages, if you like, after Sanatan Goswami departed, everybody used to miss him so much. Even when he was alive, Sanatan Goswami would go around to different, different villages of Vrindavan and he would sit and have nice conversations with every family. He would sit on their, you know, they would have that uh, mat, chattai or something we call outside, like a khatiya. He would sit there, he would have nice conversations, inquire about their well-being. How was your crop this year? What is your son doing? Did you get your daughter married nicely? Like he would inquire into their family affairs and have such loving relationships with all these um, village people. So therefore he was very dear to all of them and they used to, whenever Sanatan Goswami would leave the village and go to another village, they would all come to see him off. He was so, like, they, was, have, they had so much love for Sanatan Goswami. So therefore he was called Dheera Dheera Janapriyo. He was very dear to the devotees, but at the same time he was very dear to the ruffians as well. Because he knew the art of dealing with the ruffians in a very diplomatic way. Now even in Srimad Bhagavatam, we see that the Lord himself promotes diplomacy. Where it is conducive for advancement in spiritual life and it is conducive for advancement in devotional life. And we see the Lord doing this in the 8th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. 
Over there, we see that, you know, when there has been the whole Bali Maharaj's pastime has happened, and Bali Maharaj has defeated all the demigods, he has driven them out of their kingdom, he has conquered all the universes. And that, then the churning of the milk ocean pastime happens. So, but before that, what do the demigods do? They actually go, because there was a war that happened and the demigods lost very badly. They had no means to get their kingdom back. So ultimately, like we said, the demigods are Kama, Mishra, Bhaktas, and they always take shelter of the Supreme Lord Vishnu whenever they are in trouble, which is a great quality they have. So they go to take shelter of Vishnu and to seek a solution for the predicament that they had found themselves in. And at that time, Lord Vishnu tells them, he tells them that this is not a time for having a fight, for staging a war with these demons because they are very powerful at the moment because of the blessings of their Guru. So right now, do not stage a war. Instead of that, have very diplomatic conversation with them and make them to agree for a truce. Truce or, you know, like a peace, an armistice is called. Sign a peace agreement with them, go and have a conversation with them so that they will agree to come to the party and then both of you together churn this milk ocean using the Mandara mountain. And this is exactly, it is described very nicely in the 8th canto, how the Lord, actually, you know, when in office somebody joins new, we give full training and coaching, like that, that Lord completely trained all these demigods on what exactly to go and speak to Bali Maharaj and all the other demoniac kings. And Indra, you know, all the demigods headed by Indra, they go. And exactly how the Lord had educated them, he speaks to Bali Maharaj. And Bali Maharaj was also a very intelligent king. See, he had the power. He could still continue staging a war. But again, Bali Maharaj was also very intelligent. He was very proficient in the art of diplomacy. So at that time, he realizes the other demoniac kings wanted to attack Indra and all the demigods. But Bali Maharaj stops them and he says, no, they have come to negotiate something with us. Let us sit down and have a conversation and see what they have to offer. And then the whole churning, you know, of the milk ocean pastime happens because the demigods and demons both needed to do it together. It was not demigods ke bas ki baat nahi thi, we say, no, it was not for the demigods alone to churn the whole milk ocean using the Mandara mountain. So therefore we see that the Lord himself has also promoted diplomacy, but this, these all examples we saw from the Chaitanya Charitramrita or from the Srimad Bhagavatam, these are all diplomacy or kutinati which has been promoted for because it is conducive for devotional service. And such, you know, diplomacy is actually form of devotional service, Prabhupada says, which will help yourself progress in bhakti or help others progress in bhakti. However, on the contrary, when we see Diti's behavior over here, Diti's behavior over here does not fall under that definition which Prabhupada gives. It was neither conducive for her, her own devotional service, nor was it conducive for Kashyapa Muni's devotional service or for the son that she was asking. Because if that son she gets, who's always his consciousness is going to be, how can I kill Indra? Then obviously it's not conducive for her son's devotional service. Already she produced two sons who were such demons. She hasn't learnt a lesson and now she wants one more son who will have demoniac mentality to kill the head of the demigods. So this is exactly what we need to avoid when we are reading about Aditi's behavior in, with Kashyapa Muni and today the request she has made in today's verse, we see that she is displaying completely mis, like you know, completely artificial behavior and she is be, uh, displaying dupliciousness in her behavior. She somehow, it says also through her very charming gestures, she brought Kashyapa Muni's mind under her control. And after she has done that very smartly, she is now manipulating, manipulating him to give her a benediction, which is not good for mankind. 
and this is what you know is from today's verse we learn that this is the lesson for devotees where we don't use this duplicious behavior and this is what husband wife should not do in with dealing with each other but even in devotional circle in our vaishnava relationships especially this anartha should be completely avoided so that was on today's verse and today is also the disappearance day of um, saranga thakur so we will for the next few minutes we will talk about shri saranga thakur and what were his achievements so he was a very very close associate of chaitanya mahaprabhu in fact he said he is one of the important branches of lord chaitanya's tree and therefore his name and his pastimes have been mentioned in different in chaitanya charitramrita in chaitanya bhagavat in many chaitanya mangal in many different books about chaitanya mahaprabhu shri saranga thakur's pastimes have been mentioned so uh, saranga thakur lived in mamgachi we we all know about when we read about navadweep uh, mandal parikrama we see there is a place called mamgachi in modrumadweep and that is where saranga thakur used to live and he had um, he used to he used to live under a tree a bakul tree and he used to worship beautiful deities of radha gopinath and even today if we go to mamgachi it's a rickshaw ride from um, navadweep from mayapur so if we go to mamgachi today even today below that bakul tree there is a beautiful temple where the deities which uh, shri saranga thakur uh, worshiped for more, more than 500 years ago are still there beautiful deities of radha gopinath and also radha madan gopal these deities are also there in that particular temple and i was you know when i was reading about it on the internet it showed the picture of an old baba ji like an old uh, person who was who has been serving those deities of radha gopinath and radha madan gopal for the past 60 years continuously that is his service and it is said that that ma, that baba ji is more than 100 years old right now and that expression on that baba ji's face was so serene so peaceful so devotional just that that's the only service he's been doing for 60 years one pointed devotion to the deities of radha gopinath and radha madan gopal so these were personally worshiped by um, uh, saranga thakur now how he would worship them he would actually uh, go and collect by his with his own hands he would go and collect fruits flowers vegetables firewood to cook for the deities plus he would then go and beg some rice and he would spend his day singing nice songs for the lord stringing nice garlands for the lord from the flowers he had collected offering nice fruits to the lord and cooking nice bhoga like the rice and the vegetables that he brought he would cook for the lord and then he would bathe his deities and offer worship and offer these bhoga to the deities and after his deity worship was over so he was you know we see you know how the train of bhakti runs on two tracks one is the uh, the deity worship track and one is the pancharatrika vidhi and bhagavat vidhi so it runs on two tracks and saranga thakur was a great example of this after he did his deity worship so nicely he would then go take the boat cross the ganga go on the other side of navadweep and he would participate in the harinam pastimes of chaitanya mahaprabhu and that is how chaitanya he became a close associate of chaitanya mahaprabhu whether it was it was in shriva sangam or harinam which chaitanya mahaprabhu and the devotees would do around throughout the villages of navadweep saranga thakur was an integral part of that and chaitanya mahaprabhu would many times come to visit him in mamgachi so the bakul tree under which uh, saranga thakur was living once chaitanya mahaprabhu came and he saw that the bakul tree was dying it was it 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 its wood had started rotting and the branches had dried out leaves had not uh, fallen off and all so he told saranga thakur he said that this tree is your shelter you've been living under it for many years but this tree is about to die 
it's it's going completely it has become dry what are you going to do about it saranga thakur and saranga thakur told chaitanya mahaprabhu that my lord only your mercy can revive this tree without your mercy this tree has no hope at all so you please bestow your merciful glance on this tree and you please revive it my lord so chaitanya mahaprabhu with his beautiful long golden arms goes and embraces this bakul tree because he wanted to uh, saranga thakur to have a nice shelter under that tree so he goes and embraces this bakul tree and as soon as he embraces the bakul tree it starts becoming green again the branches start sprouting leaves we can see flowers growing and it becomes lush and green so it the whole tree gets revived by chaitanya mahaprabhu's um, touch so uh, saranga thakur had also taken a vow he had said that i will never ever accept any disciple in my life that is the vow he had taken and chaitanya mahaprabhu was continuously goading him he was telling him that you should accept disciples you should accept disciples you are such a nice devotee there will be other souls which will benefit if you become their guru so you should accept disciples so continuously when chaitanya mahaprabhu kept telling him this saranga thakur decided he said that tomorrow morning the first person i meet i'm going to initiate that person because you are ordering my lord i have to fulfill your order and it will be done tomorrow morning and the next day morning saranga thakur goes to take bath in the ganga and while he is taking bath the dead body of a child floats and comes and touches him it hits him now this dead child was actually a child who was uh, who died an untimely death obviously because he is a child by a snake bite during his brahmin initiation like the when he was getting punal you know the brahmin thread so during his upanayanam ceremony this boy died because a snake came and bit him and as was the custom during those days because he was a child he was not cremated by his parents but his body was put on banyan on uh, banana tree trunks and wrapped in banana leaves and it was floated down the ganga river that is how they would get you know dispose of the body of a dead child and this child came and hit chaitanya uh, came and hit saranga thakur when he was in the ganga and immediately saranga thakur caught him because he had vowed the first person i see i will initiate and chaitanya mahaprabhu was watching this from a distance and chaitanya saranga thakur tells this dead body i am going to make your you my disciple and chaitanya mahaprabhu actually um tell saranga thakur he actually uh, encourages him saranga thakur you say the mantra in his ear and saranga thakur immediately speaks the mantra into the boy's ear and initiates that dead child and as soon as he hears this mantra from the mouth of the pure devotee the dead child revives and he comes back to life and this is how saranga thakur so that 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 boy's name was murari and that is how saranga thakur's name after this came to be known as saranga murari thakur so he initiates the child the uh, child comes back to life and obviously the parents are informed that your dead child has come back to life and they actually come to take the child away to back to their home but the child refuses he says no i have been given my you know new a new birth by my guru i'm going to now just stay here and dedicate my whole life to the service of my guru so he you know for, for his whole life this young child murari he then served saranga murari thakur very nicely now it is also said that saranga thakur was always like you know absorbed he would lose external consciousness he would not be in external consciousness he would go into his sadhana his bhajan in, into his remembrance or smaranam of the lord and because of that many times he would go under water and he would stay for 2 3 days completely lost in meditation on the lord's pastimes 
and he would not suffer any bodily discomfort. Even though he was underwater, he was able to breathe, he was able to survive, he was not drowning, neither was he like, you know, feeling the lack of oxygen or anything like that. So he would go like this underwater and he would completely be absorbed in meditation of the Lord. He would at this, uh, also he would come, when he would pass through forests and jungles, because that time obviously everybody used to travel on foot, he would actually see tigers and he would sit in their, on their backs and he would uh, encourage them to chant the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. Same with pythons, dangerous snakes, he would take the python and on his lap he would play with the python and he would be constantly singing and immersed in the Lord's pastimes. So this is how Sarangathakur was completely immersed and absorbed. He was such a pure devotee of the Lord that he did not have any external consciousness, no awareness I'm dealing with a ferocious tiger or a poisonous snake, no awareness of that at all. But instead he would make them also chant the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. So in the Gaur Ganoshdev's Deepika, which has been written by Kavi Karnapur, who is the son of Shivanan Sen, he actually has been said that he is Nandi Mukhi Sakhi. So in Vrajalila, he is Nandi Mukhi Sakhi. In fact, there is a very beautiful verse which um, Kavi Karnapun has written. He has said, Vraje Nandi Mukhi Yasid, Sadhya Saranga Thakura, Prahlada Manyate Kaishchin, Mat Pitra Na Sa Manyate. So it said that many people, Kavi Karnapur is writing, many people think that Saranga Thakur was actually an incarnation of Prahlad Maharaj, but Mat Pita Na Samanyate. My father did not agree with that part. So Shivanan Sen did not agree with that particular uh, statement that he was um, an incarnation of Prahlad Maharaj. In fact, my father said that he was Vraje Nandi Mukhi Yasit Sadhya Saranga Thakura. He was an incarnation of Nandi Mukhi Sakhi from Vrajalila. That is what is Saranga Thakur's eternal position. And you know, because he was such an elevated devotee, he was, you know, an incarnation of Sakhi uh, uh, herself, he was a very, very pure devotee, completely on the transcendental black platform. And sometimes because he was behave like this with tigers and snakes and all that, or go underwater, his behavior was very inconceivable and ununderstandable by um, other people around him. They could not perceive or they could not understand Saranga Thakur's behavior at all. And his disappearance, which we are celebrating today, was on the 13th day of the dark fortnight of Mrigashir Samant, which comes in November, December. So that is a little bit about Sri Sarangathakur's life. And uh, we'll end the class here, and we'll see if there are any questions, comments, or corrections. Ranthrat Srimad Bhagavatam ki, Srila Sarangathakur ki, yes. Thank you, Mataji, for the nice class. Um, Sometimes we see we don't get along with a few devotees, but then in lectures we hear that whenever we see them, we should like say Hari Bola, Hare Krishna, and talk with them nicely. But then from inside, we don't feel like nice about them. So isn't that duplicious behavior that we should try to avoid? So what can we do in that case? Sivya, you always ask very nice questions. <laughs> I look forward to your questions whenever I give class. Um, so, the question is that what should we do when we don't get along with devotees, but obviously the scriptures also say we should at least greet them and say Hari Bol and also is that duplicious behavior? That's your question, isn't it? Um, so, what, in fact, Jiva Goswami says in um, the, some of the scriptures and books that he has written is that to not smile upon seeing a Vaishnava is actually Vaishnava Prad. 
there are many other forms of vaishnava prati talks but one of the one of the highest form of vaishnava prati is to kill a devotee but he says the first thing is also to do not smile when we look at a devotee so obviously you know there is there is this duplicious behavior which we elaborated saying that we should duplicious behavior or diplomatic behavior or kutinati is when we are actually trying to achieve some ulterior motive some hidden agenda only then it is called diplomatic behavior or kutinati but when we are actually trying to maintain good relationships with other vaishnavas and trying to avoid that vaishnava aparad which jiva goswami has said that to not even feel pleasure or happiness when we look at a devotee and to smile at, not to smile at them is actually a vaishnava aparad so we are trying to guard because like i said prabhupad has said that diplomacy which is done to progress in spiritual life is actually a form of devotional service so by not smiling like you know being straightforward i don't like you for example with that devotee whom we don't like or we don't get along with by being straightforward with that devotee neither is it going to help that devotee it's not going to help him progress because obviously he will feel bad at the same time it is not going to help us progress because jiva goswami has said it's a vaishnava prad not to smile at a devotee so to safeguard our own devotional service if we are smiling at a devotee it is not considered duplicitous behavior in fact you know here we can adopt maybe the straightforwardness or that transparency which prabhupad says which should be their open honest um, dealings with devotees maybe we can go and talk to them about something that we are not liking or something which has offended us and that is what is dadati pratigranati guhya makhyati prachati we reveal our mind and confidence to them and we find out that is there anything which i have done because of which you are behaving like this or maybe this 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 thing about your behavior was little bit hurting to my heart so i thought i'll come and discuss with you rather than allow it to breed and then it shows in our external behavior in our words or in our actions so that in fact that is where we can avoid the you know honest open uh, de- dealings which prabhupad says devotees should have with each other but if we are you know it it might happen in spiritual life that we don't get along with everybody and that is the truth of spiritual life some devotees might be in our inner circle whom we trust a lot and some devotees we might have just cordial relationship but we might not have really trusting or deep relationship with that person and some devotees might be whom we don't get along with and that might be a reality because everybody has material conditioning we all have our natures so we might not get along with some devotees and that might be the truth of life in spiritual life but we at least you know not offend that devotee so that we don't fall down because of that vaishnava aparad and therefore we at least smile and we just maintain like externally cordial behavior with that devotee so that is how i would see you but highest is to go and then you know talk to the devotee and try to clear up the misunderstanding so that we don't have to then you know even just smile at them when we see them it it becomes it comes naturally from the heart rather than just artificially doing it so that we don't do vaishnava aparad does that answer any other questions or comments okay we'll end the class here granthraj shrimad bhagavatam ki shila prabhupad ki